Well, we're continuing our study through the book of Mark. And last week, we ended with the story of the demoniac who was healed by Jesus. And again, Jesus showing us that he has power not only over nature, but over the demonic realm as a whole as well. And now we come to a familiar passage in Mark. It's the account of Jesus healing the synagogue ruler, Jairus, his daughter, combined with the healing of the woman with the, what the Bible calls the issue of blood. One preacher says it's Jesus does a miracle on his way to do a miracle. So let's just read the entire account right now, and then we'll get into it. Mark 5, verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and lived. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been suffering to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Instantly, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out for him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched you? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went up where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Instantly, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. And he gave strict orders not to let anyone know anything about this. And he told them to give her something to eat. Now I'm going to do a little something a little bit different today. Now we're going to review this briefly. I'm going to go through the passages kind of quickly. But if you have been watching The Chosen, I have some clips from this exact thing. And Brad did a good job of kind of piecing it all together because it's too long to, in its entirety. But the clip I have shows this example, and it, and it shows that obviously there's communication that's not written in the Bible. These are all things that Jesus could have said or could have happened. But the, the gist of it and the quotes and the healings are in this clip. And a lot of times when we, when we read something in the Bible, it, it, we read it so many times it almost becomes like a sterile image. And the, the, the video, it's, it's the most powerful one of the entire series in my opinion. I've watched it numerous times. It's just, it's just a powerful video. And I, I want us to see not only 
the healing of it, but the emotion that's involved with the people who came to Jesus. Because sometimes we just, well, the woman had an issue of blood, she came to Jesus and was healed and walked away. And you don't know, and if you watch the series, you'll see that there's a whole story, you know, of how she suffered for these 12 years. And as this is an unclean thing, it was, it was hard for her to mingle with anybody. So it, it gives you an example of what, what might have happened and how the emotions might have been at that time. And sometimes we forget that these were people and they had issues, just like we do today. So we're going to review it and then we'll watch it in the end. Now we've seen the scene shifting here. Jesus was on the east side of the lake and on that side of the lake they asked him to leave. He arrives at the west side and the people were there to greet him. And most scholars believe that this was the town of Capernaum even though it's not mentioned in this particular passage. And the synagogue ruler was more of an administrative position. It wasn't, he wasn't a Pharisee, he wasn't a Sadducee. He was kind of like, he's responsible for looking after the building. He's responsible for supervising the worship. He was kind of in charge of that particular temple. And obviously, Jairus had heard about Jesus and went to him for help. Going back to the beginning in verse 22, it says, Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and lived and live. How many of you have kids? Imagine if your 12-year-old was dying. How would you feel? So he's, he's running to Jesus, hoping that Jesus touches and heals her. Now Mark doesn't record that Jesus answered him, that he just went with him. Verse 24 says that Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed in around him. Now these are probably a lot of people were searching, you know, as we mentioned before, these are curiosity seekers. Maybe some were true followers. Maybe just someone wanted a healing, a miracle. But whatever it was, he was just mobbed by this crowd as he's trying to make his way to Jairus' house. And we'll get an image of that in the video a little bit later. So Jesus is walking through town with Jairus, surrounded by a ton of people pressing in, making it hard for him to even keep walking. And while he's on his way, a woman is in need of a miracle. And Jesus, the Bible introduces her in this story. She needs Jesus to touch her just like Jairus needs to have Jesus touch his daughter. Now we saw earlier how Jesus deliberately challenged the Sabbath problem by healing on the Sabbath on purpose. He wanted to address that issue and get it out of the way and deal with it. And now these two events come along with the healing of the demoniac along with the healing of this woman and the daughter who dies. All of them were considered unclean. And so for them to be unclean, they couldn't, you know, you couldn't, you would be ceremonially unclean, you couldn't be around anybody, you had to wash, you had to just be around other people, you couldn't go with anyone. And so Jesus had to now deal with the unclean problem. Now Mark goes into more detail about the woman's issue and struggle that she had over the 12 years. If you look at verse 25 or 26, it says, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors it spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she got worse. How many here can relate to that? Been to the doctor, spend tons of money, and you're no better off. Doctor can't help you. Maybe you've been to the doctor for years, and nothing seems to get better. 
In fact, it's getting worse. And now, not only is it getting worse, he has no money left to have any help. So she's unclean, which means she can't be in town. She can't earn any kind of money. She's a woman. She can't do anything. She's left on the side as a beggar with no money. So you can imagine how desperate she was. This is my last, this is my last chance. Both of these individuals need a bona fide, verifiable miracle. And if Jesus didn't step in, their lives would never be the same. How many have been in that position? Then unless Jesus does something, my life is gonna change radically and not for the good. Notice the comparison or the contrast between these two folks. Jairus was a wealthy, well-known official, but his wealth and position couldn't heal his daughter. She was a poor nobody, we don't even know her name, who spent everything she had. Jairus had a daughter who gave him 12 years of joy. She had a medical problem that gave her 12 years of sorrow. And Jesus healed them both because he is not a regarder of persons. He doesn't care who you are. He wants you. Verse 27 says, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if she thought, I can, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Instantly her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Now she was in the back of this crowd trying to press her way through and she could have given herself a thousand reasons why she shouldn't go and try to have Jesus heal her. He's too busy with that other guy. I can't go. He's, he's going to go heal this guy's daughter. I can't go. There's too many people here. I'll never make it up to him. I'm unclean. I'll be breaking the law if I go through this. I'll just be, I'll be in terrible shape. But she put all those excuses aside because she believed. You know, before you come to Christ, there's a thousand reasons why you don't. There's all these reasons that the enemy pops in your head of why I can't do this, why I shouldn't do this. Or even after you're saved, praying for God to intercede. Well, I, you know, this is too big for God. God can't handle this. This is beyond his control. But the Bible says nothing is too hard for God. And a lot of times if we let our excuses get in the way, we won't see God work. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. Or when you ask, you ask amiss because you want to, want to use it on yourself. We have an issue out here that's coming with the traffic circle. Radically going to change this church one way or another. And not a lot we can do about that. But God. We have no idea what God has in store. But I'm not worried. We shouldn't be worried. We should be praying. God can heal someone from the dead. I think he can fix this problem. And what the enemy meant for evil, God will turn around for good. So I'm excited to see what God has in store for us. And God knows what we have and what we don't have. So God's got to provide all of it. Which means we get no credit for that. Whatever God does, God gets the credit. And for these two individuals, nothing that anyone could do could have helped except Jesus gets the credit. Jesus gets the glory for what he's about to do. 
And verse 30 says, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, the disciples said, and yet you ask, who touched you? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Think about this. How many people in the crowd were there for something from Jesus? And how many people touched him and got nothing? Probably a ton of people trying to press in. And yet power never went out from him to anyone. I would venture to say that a lot of people that were there needed something from God, needed something for Jesus to do. But none of them had faith to believe that Jesus could do it. Only this woman who had the faith, and I think it became a point of, this is my last ditch effort. If God doesn't heal me now, nothing's gonna happen. We don't wanna wait until that becomes a possibility with us. We, do, we exhaust every other option before we come and pray and ask God to do something. And God will let you get to the end of your rope. All right, you've tried all these other things. How about asking me? Verse 33 says, Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Jesus doesn't call her out of the crowd to rebuke her. He calls her out to make personal contact with her because he's fearful that she had done something that she shouldn't have done. And he wants to reassure her that her faith healed her, not the clothing. Some commentaries say that she had a little bit of superstition going on. If I, just touch the, if I touch the garment, I don't need to touch him. If I touch his garment, I'll be healed. But in either case, he wanted to show her it wasn't your superstition. It wasn't the garment. It was the faith you had that I could heal you. And he uses the term daughter. He calls her daughter. Nowhere else in the Gospels does he use that phrase when he talks and he heals a woman. To use the term here must have meant something for her. Now we'll see in the video that it does and we can't really, it's not in the Bible so we don't know it, but for Jesus to use that term only once for her, she needed to hear it. And I think about that and how many of us would love Jesus to say, call you son or daughter to your face. Maybe you had no one to do that. Jesus wants you to understand what your position is in Christ. You are his child. Mark 4, 30, or 5.35 says, when Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they say, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. Now, even though all the evidence is there to say this is the end of the deal, and Jesus appearing just wouldn't change anything. Oh, yeah, he's healed anybody. He's healed people, but he hasn't really raised anybody from the dead yet. So these guys that came to him are saying, look, there's nothing else he can do. He might have healed other people, but now she's dead. You can't, you can't fix that. 
leave him alone. And I'm sure he was devastated by that news. What would you think? Doctor comes out of the operating room and says, I'm sorry. Jesus had to either believe what these guys said or they had to believe what Jesus said. When it comes to the truth, who do we believe? Do we believe what the world tells us or do we believe what God tells us? Jesus reassures him by saying, don't be afraid. Just believe. You just saw this miracle of this lady. Do you believe? In verse 37 says, he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. As we know, this is the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. And we'll see later on that Jesus didn't want anyone to know what he did. So he needed all the crowd to stay behind. He didn't want any of that news getting out right yet. Imagine if this whole crowd of hundreds of people saw Jesus raise somebody from the dead. It would just wildfire. Everybody would know in a matter of seconds. So Jesus just takes the three. Verse 38 says, When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion and people crying and wailing loudly. Jesus left one crowd to find another crowd. And he had to get rid of them too. Now in those days you would hire people and pay people to be professional mourners and wailers. I don't understand that, but that's what they did. And they would, you know, they come in, they start wailing and crying and playing their flutes because someone paid them to do it. They had no emotional attachment and it was their job. And so these guys, as they're wailing and moaning, they're thinking to themselves, I'm not gonna get, I'm not gonna get paid for this. Verse 39 says, he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And verse 30 says, but they laughed at him. Now, Jesus didn't mean that she didn't die. He's using the term sleep because that's the term reserved for those who die in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 says, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left to the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. So when we die in Christ, the Bible refers to us as sleeping. Because when the Bible says, when we close our eyes here, we open them in heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There's no time lag, there's no gap. The instant you stop breathing is the minute you wake up in heaven. How many are excited about that? So the mourners didn't understand this, so they laughed and they thought Jesus was crazy. And verse 40 says, after he put them out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said, Talith kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Instantly the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. And he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And he told them to give her something to eat. Luke's account of this gives no doubt that the girl in fact died and was raised back to life. Now up to this point, even the disciples hadn't seen someone raised from the dead. So they were, as you're going to see in the video, they were amazed at what they saw. When he tells them not to say anything, he also knew that he couldn't be kept a total secret. I mean, the mourners knew she was dead. 
The townspeople knew she was dead. And all of a sudden, they're going to see her walking around. They're going to figure something out. Jesus did, wanted to keep this as low-key as possible so that they would not receive any unnecessary attention that their family didn't want or didn't need, along with Jesus. Because as we mentioned before, it was not his time to let people know who he was. Because if there was a crowd of people around, the Romans would think he was trying to overthrow them, and they would just end well and poorly for everybody. So he tried to keep it un, close to the vest until it was time. Now we're going to show this clip from the video. I want us to hear the words, but I want us to feel the emotions that would most likely have occurred with those involved. You can go ahead, Brad. You know, it's a lot more powerful when you see it in video form. The mourners were laughing. Unbelief laughs at what God's word says. Or it's something that they can't explain. Unbelief will laugh. Faith lays hold of what God says and we experience miracles. When we tell people there's a heaven where believers will live for eternity and a hell as well, it almost seems unbelievable. And a lot of people laugh at that. But faith allows us to believe it even when we can't see it or explain it. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We've seen a lot of miracles answer prayer, people coming to know Christ just in our church. It's from faith, believing that God can do something. When we have that faith, we see miracles. And the greatest miracle of all is coming to know Christ as your Savior. Greatest miracle. Because it changes who you are for eternity. Salvation is the same as raising you from the dead. Because the Bible says we were spiritually dead in sin. When you come to Christ for forgiveness, you do that before you see anything change in your life. You take it on faith. It's only after you come to Christ by faith do you see things change. I want to have that kind of faith. That God can do anything. And if we believe the greatest miracle is people coming to know Christ, that's kind of the definition of revival, right? When we believe that God is going to do something in other, someone else's life. We've seen a lot of people interested in the things of God and a lot of people responding to God's grace. Not only here, but Asbury and wherever it's still going on. God wants people to be saved. God wants it more than we want it. Think of the hardest person you know. That they are never, no matter what happens, they're not going to come to Christ. Well, guess what? 
God says nothing is too hard for him. What miracle are you praying for? That seems in the distant future or maybe not, impossible, or maybe not happening at all. What's the Bible say about that? Only believe. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, which is pretty small, God can do anything. Would you stand as we close this morning? Would you bow your heads for a moment? When God looks down, he doesn't see a mass of people. He sees individuals. He sees the hurt and pain or the joy that each one of us have. And he wants to be a part of that in your life. He wants to stoop down and say, Daughter, I'm your dad. He wants to stoop down and heal you of whatever's going on in your life. The Bible says he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. So when we cry, he cries. He knows how it is to suffer. He knows what it is to be separated by sin. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? A lot of scholars believe that when Jesus says, let this cup pass from me, that it wasn't talking about the crucifixion itself. But he was talking about the time that he was separated from his father. When all of our sin guilt was poured upon him, God could not look at him. But because of that, we never have to fear that. We never have to fear God turning his back on us because he can't look at us. Because of what Jesus did. He did it once and for all. The Bible says, God says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. That's the assurance we have through God's word. you're here this morning and you've never really experienced that personally in your life there's a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus it's possible to learn a lot about Jesus without ever having a relationship with him well that doesn't give you joy and peace and that doesn't give you comfort and encouragement it's the relationship that gives you that If you want to experience that, and like I said before, you have, to experience, you have to come by faith before you experience anything. But I guarantee you, once you make that choice, now you'll experience it. But you've got to take the first step. The Bible says we're all sinners. We all fall short of God's glory, God's expectation, 
what God requires of us. And the Bible tells us that the wages of those sins is death. We deserved everything that Jesus got. But the Bible also says that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And the Bible says as many as receive him, not know about him, as many as receive him, to those he gave the authority or the right to be called children of God. So if you're on the outside looking in, you wouldn't call yourself a child or son or daughter of God, then this is for you. Jesus says, I stand at the doorway of your heart and I knock. If you open the door, I will come in and sup. I will fellowship with you. I will have that relationship with you if you open the door. To the choices up to you. Jesus wants that relationship with you. If you've never had it, Jesus wants it. But he's leaving it up to you to make the choice. And today, the Bible says it's salvation. Today is the day you want to make that choice. So if that's you and you want to make that choice right now, I want to pray with you. So if you lift up your hand real high, I want to know who you are. And I want to pray with you. Maybe you're here this morning and you've had a relationship with God, but you've kind of let it slide. And you want to come back. Well, the Bible says it's God's a God of second and third and 490 chances. If that's you, you want to make a commitment today, from, the, from today on, I'm going to serve you, Lord. Forgive what I've done in the past. I confess it, I repent of it, I don't want to do it anymore. Help me to move on and grow in my knowledge of you. I want you to raise your hand. There's a saying that says, if you can't stand for God in the church, you're never going to stand for God in the world. So I saw both those hands. So I'm going to pray for both of you. And I'm going to close in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for touching the lives of the people that were here this morning, the two that raised their hand one for salvation, one for rededication. I thank you for what you're doing in their life. And I believe, Lord, this is the beginning of a great new journey for them. I pray your Holy Spirit fills them. I pray that you continue to draw them in. And I pray, Lord, you do great things in their life. Allow them to see miracles happen. Allow them to see answers to prayer. Allow them to experience the grace and the mercy and love of God every day. Allow them to realize that the decision they're making right now is the best one they can ever make. And for each one of us, Lord, every one of us, I pray that you would continue to fill us with your Holy Spirit. Continue to draw us close to you and continue to let us see miraculous things happen. We come expecting, Lord, you to do something. We have no idea what that is, but we know that you do. So we come trusting a God who has everything in control and we believe him for great things. So as we leave this morning, allow us to really anticipate answers to prayer, powerful movings of God, things that only can be explained by God doing it.
So Lord, I commit this church to you and I pray your blessings upon each person as we leave in Jesus' name. And before we leave, those two that raise their hands, please come up front. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you.